0: The reading today is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that already in this service we've had the reminder of the assurance of your forgiveness when we come to you and confess our sins. Teach us now, we pray, to show that same spirit of forgiveness in our lives, that we may be faithful witnesses to your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. In a novel I was reading recently, a wife discovers that her husband has been unfaithful to her. He comes to beg her forgiveness. And she says, I forgive you, but what will that change? The trust in their relationship had been broken. She's not sure that his words indicate a true change of heart. And so, what are the future prospects for the rebuilding of their marriage? It's the same problem with the unforgiving servant in the parable we've just heard read to us. Forgiveness, for him, did not lead to a change of heart. He's let off this absurdly large debt. The talent was the largest unit of currency... And 10,000 was the largest number for which the Greeks had a particular word, a myriad. And so, if we translate that into the equivalent for us today, it's saying that this man was let off a trillion pounds. Certainly more than you can win on the lottery, anyway. And the king knows that he's got no hope of ever repaying so large a sum. And then, out of sheer mercy he waives the debt and lets him off scot-free. Great. But the next thing we hear is that this forgiven servant goes off and demands the repayment of a relatively modest debt, just a few pence, from a fellow servant. Of course, he's asking for no more than what he's justly owed. And if justice Is the only thing that governs our relationships. Then he's got to be repaid. But in the context of this parable. We're absolutely appalled. At his merciless and unforgiving spirit. Having just been let off this huge debt. It makes no difference to his attitude. To those who owe him money. And the other servants in the parable are so distressed. They tell the king about this, and then indeed, justice is what he gets. And, says Jesus, that is how my heavenly father will deal with you, unless you forgive from your heart. Yes, the heart has to be changed. Otherwise, forgiveness is mere words. It doesn't achieve its goal, which is to mend relationships. And if forgiveness fails, there's no alternative but the exaction of justice. Now, this is one of three places in the Gospels where Jesus tells us that our own forgiveness depends upon our being willing to forgive others. There's a verse in Luke which says, forgive and you will be forgiven. And then, of course, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to pray Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now all of this expresses a condition. Forgive or you won't be forgiven. How does that actually square with our belief in the promise of free forgiveness in the gospel? Paul's statement in Romans, for example, that we are justified freely by God's grace. Is there really a hidden clause which says, yes, God will forgive you, but only if you forgive others. Does our salvation actually depend upon this? Is it not just God's free mercy? Well, in fact, this parable we're looking at uh, makes the relationship between God's justice and his mercy, his forgiveness, perfectly clear. Yes, the king in the story is unbelievably generous, To this miserable servant who pleads, be patient with me and I will pay you back. When of course he can't. But this doesn't mean that the king is a soft touch who can be relied upon to let people off lightly. Jesus actually introduces this parable by saying the king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It was a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. Such as we all will have to face before God. We're not to suppose that God's readiness to forgive means there's no difference between right and wrong. Or that humanity's sinfulness doesn't matter to God. On the contrary, the Bible everywhere proclaims that God is a God of righteousness and justice. And it is will that corruption and greed and the abuse of power by exploiting and oppressing the weak and the the vulnerable, should be rooted out on earth. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. But sometimes we can make this cry for justice into a false gospel. The good news is not ultimately that there will be justice, but that there is mercy and forgiveness. And as Christians, we should be clear that campaigning for justice in itself doesn't solve the world's problems. The brute fact is that human nature doesn't measure up to the kind of justice which God requires. The people of Israel in the Old Testament were told that every 50th year they should keep as a year of Jubilee, a year when all debts should be cancelled. Why should they do that? Well, God ordained it not on the basis of justice. Those debts were truly owed. Shouldn't they be paid? No, says God, we must have a year of jubilee, a year to proclaim mercy, because I redeemed you from slavery in Egypt. If God had not all his people free, they would still be slaves with no hope of redemption. And therefore they owed it to their God to forgive those who were in debt to them. That's why the Passover is such a vital and central part of Judaism. It's the night when they remember their forefathers were slaves until God, in his mercy, freed them. And the same meaning, of course, lies at the heart of Easter, where we remember that Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom. That is, he paid the debt, the price of our freedom, without which we'd all be hopelessly in debt as sinners before a just God. We've been redeemed, it says in the first epistle of Peter, not with silver and gold. It wasn't money debts we were let off, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, his life given for us. This is the cost to God of forgiveness. He doesn't just say, oh, that's all right. I'll let you off. I don't mind you wrecking my creation, spreading greed, violence, selfishness and pride everywhere. I don't mind genocide and terrorism. I'm happy to see the rich feasting and the poor starving. Carry on by all means organizing the world for your own convenience, regardless of what it does. To the rest of my creation. No no. This isn't God's attitude. God grieves. Over the mess we make of it all. But he bears the consequences. Himself. Instead of exacting the penalty. For the mess we've made. He brings his justice and his mercy together. In the cross of Jesus. There he proclaims his jubilee. The free cancelling. Of all our debts. And confronted by such love. Those who know their need of forgiveness. And seek his grace. Become debtors to his mercy alone. But those who insist. On the way of justice. From anyone they can pin on anything on. Those who. Are intent upon extracting every last farthing. From those who are in debt to them they will face justice themselves. That's a solemn thought in a society where we're encouraged to go to court over any prospect of compensation for the wrongs done to us. How will we fare when God's debt collector comes knocking on our door? So we're called to live on the basis not of mere justice, but of forgiveness. And how far Are we actually prepared to forgive others? What does it mean for me to be prepared to forgive? It's not an easy thing. Let's not glibly say, of course, we forgive. Because it can be very costly for us, just as it was costly for God himself. But if we know that grace in our own lives, we're called to respond with similar love to all who wrong us. The pain of it may be difficult. We may struggle at times to find that heart of forgiveness within ourselves. It may take a while before we are in the position where we can actually express the words of forgiveness. We may feel that it's right to say, well, I can't forgive until somebody repents. Is that true? Well, of course, unless people are willing to come and repent and acknowledge The wrong they've done, the healing work of forgiveness does not take place. But that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't be standing ready to forgive. After all, we follow the one who was stripped, mocked, abused, tortured, hammered on a cross, and still prayed, Father, forgive them. Where was the repentance on the day of the cross? But Jesus was still praying for forgiveness. We can find examples in history and in recent times of moments when people have found the heart of forgiveness and that has had a life-changing effect on other people. During the troubles in Northern Ireland, there were sometimes voices of those who'd lost loved ones saying, this is not the way, there must be forgiveness and reconciliation and eventually that bore fruit. And more recently, after the riots in Birmingham, Tariq Jahan uh, 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 achieved uh, um, a lot of media attention because his son, having been murdered, he didn't say, I want revenge or I want justice. He said, people must come together and try to rebuild this community. We must come together in mutual forgiveness. People were then moved to turn away from their sense of outrage and clamor for justice. And try to find hope in a different future. So the offer of free forgiveness by God for our sins. Is his way of changing the world. By changing the hearts of those who are ready to confess they do need that forgiveness. Of course it doesn't work until that need is acknowledged. Until you and I are ready to acknowledge that we have We have uh, uh, broken God's laws and done things that are unworthy in his sight. But all the time, like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, God is looking out for our homecoming, our turning to him and standing ready with his offer of forgiveness. And so if we seek to witness to the reality of that forgiveness in our own lives, If we want to witness to the gospel, we're under an obligation to forgive from the heart those who've wronged us. That's how we show that the gospel really does have power in our lives to change things. It's absolutely central to what we proclaim about our faith. Only by showing a merciful spirit can we prove that lives have been changed and help to bring that change In other people. Yeah, there's no dodging the obligation of forgiveness if we ourselves have received that forgiveness from God. Either we must choose this path of forgiveness or we choose to live on the basis of strict justice. And, says Jesus at the end, in the last words at the end of his parable, if it's justice you want, then that's what you'll get from God. Amen.